Good evening, everyone. It's really good to see you here tonight. Thank you very much for coming out to be with us. It's great to be in church, and it's great now to have the opportunity to come around God's Word. If you're here tonight and you're a visitor, you're very especially welcome. And if you're looking for a church and you'd like to chat with us about the, the family here in Dundonald Elam, please do speak to us at the door. You'd be very welcome to do that. It's lovely to have you here with us. Tonight we're going to continue on our series where we've been looking at warnings and examples. And the scripture that Phil used really to inspire this series is 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, which says this. These things happened to them, that is the children of Israel, and during their wanderings in exile, or in the desert, sorry. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. You see, when God set his children free from slavery in Egypt, he gave them incredible promises. He promised them that his presence would always go with them. He promised them that he would give them rest. He promised them that he would fight their battles and that they did not need to be afraid. He promised that he would provide for their every need, spiritually, physically, emotionally. He would also provide them a land, a land where they would become a nation, a holy nation before God. In fact, chief among all nations. Remarkable promises. And the children of Israel saw God do the most incredible miracles, the most incredible miracles, yet a journey that could have only taken 11 days took 40 years. A journey that could have only taken 11 days took 40 years. And only two who originally left Egypt, Joshua and Caleb, entered Canaan. Moses, Aaron, and all the rest of them, they had the same promises spoken over their lives, but they didn't fulfill their purpose, and they died, sadly, in the wilderness. And if you read over 1 Corinthians 10 later, you'll see that it mentions four major sins which characterize the children of Israel. Idolatry, sexual immorality, disobedience, and complaining. And they had their promises. They had their purpose, but they came up short. So Paul wrote about these warnings specifically and originally for the church that was in Corinth, but they're also for us here today, great warnings, and we need to heed them. Why? Because we're experiencing incredible blessing in this church. Incredible rich blessing of God in this fellowship. There's been significant growth over these last number of months. 57 people coming into membership. Lots of new faces attending regularly since that. 16 people baptized. There's always a great sense of joy and unity in this church. Expectancy as we come to worship God together. Rich fellowship in the coffee room as as we we, we chat and talk to each other. There's expectancy as to what God's going to be doing in in Alpha with the 50 or so non-Christian people who are attending every week. Please, please, please be praying for that. And then there's also incredible 
in anticipation in our hearts as we think about Malcolm and Debbie Duncan coming to our, our fellowship here and their ministry with us. This is a really exciting place to be. God has a purpose for this church. Yes, here in Dundonald, but a purpose for this church right across Ireland. And we have his promises. And he's actually even put these warnings in Scripture to help us to not make the same mistakes of history. You see, the Bible is our spiritual history. And I've said it before, a big part of our spiritual maturity is a strong sense of our own history. A big part of our spiritual maturity is a strong sense of our own history. So we need to learn from the warnings of Scripture to move forward. And tonight, we're going to look at the warning of sexual immorality. And I'm very aware as we come to speak about this, that this talk may raise certain issues or hurt or pain for some people in their lives. And what we want you to know is that we are aware of that and we are here for you. And if you need to speak to someone and you need prayer about anything in your life and want to speak in confidence, please come and speak to us on the pastoral team. But we're going to think about the warning of sexual immorality, and rightly so. Because if we think for one second that Satan will not try to use the fleshy desires in our heart to rip a chasm right through what God is doing in this church, we're to be pitied. We are to be pitied. You see, our enemy has a purpose as well. What is it? He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy So we dare not become casual with life in God. We need to take him seriously. And one of the examples that really struck me from the children of Israel's history is in in Numbers 25, where they had just reached the border of the promised land. Their destiny was in sight. Their destiny was in sight, yet they indulged in sexual immorality with the Moabite woman. 24,000 people died in the ensuing plague. Could we get so close to our God-given destiny and fall and not make it because of sexual temptation? Yes. And that's why we must never become casual with life in God. Let him who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And there are high profile examples of Christian leaders who know from their experience that if we give the devil a foothold, he will destroy. And do you know, whenever we read the Bible, it portrays its heroes just as they were, warts and all. Their humanity is on display for us. And for the warnings about sexual immorality, we're going to move from the wilderness to another era and hero, David. Before we start thinking about Bathsheba, yes, it's that story we're going to look at tonight. Just want you to know, remember this. Do not forget how honored this man is in Scripture. He is, Holy Spirit wrote that he is the man after God's own heart. He wrote half of the Psalms. He was told that the Messiah, the Meshiach, will come through his lineage and will actually be called the son of David. Oh, this guy had purpose. 
And this guy had awesome promises. And around 2 Samuel chapter 11, which we're, we're going to read together, he had achieved remarkable success. Israel's borders had never been larger. The army never stronger. His popularity was huge. Israel's greatest leader, the master of all, he observed. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. We believe in this church the Bible is the inspired and authoritative, precious Word of God. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, and she was cleansed from her impurity as she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, and how the battle and war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to him, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I go down to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I shall not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Well, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servant of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Amen. We know that God will add his blessing to that reading from his word. What a tragic story. 
What a tragic story. A man at the peak of his God-given task. And he fell. Sadly, as I said earlier, there are many examples of this type of fall in Christian leaders. And many of them have been high profile. Satan loves to get Christians who are in high profile positions to fall because he knows the devastating impact it has upon those they influence. Getting a a shepherd boy to fall, it's not exactly the same impact as the king. It's not the same impact as the king. However, what goes on outside of the public eye is even more disturbing. According to the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, 65% of men and 55% of women will have engaged in extramarital affairs by the time they have reached 40. Christianity Today completed a survey and found that 23% of the 300 pastors who responded to them admitted to sexually inappropriate behavior with someone other than their wives. One in four. So the message is relevant to every single one of us. Absolutely. Because there's not one person here when we are feeling down or when we're feeling sorry for ourselves or when we're experiencing a moment of weakness cannot have the potential to put our head on the wrong shoulder. David and Bathsheba is the story of a slippery slope that led to disaster. Now the first thing we need to acknowledge here before we get into the story is that although David was achieving incredible success, the cracks had already started to show in his life. He had already married several times and he had concubines. People say, oh sure, polygamy is all over the Old Testament, but never once is it endorsed. And it always ended up in disaster. God's design has always been one man to be with one woman. And David's son Solomon said this. He said, rejoice in the wife of your youth. But he didn't sadly heed his own advice. Like father, like son. Please let's beware of the example we set our children The cracks were already in David's life before Bathsheba. And most who fall sexually do so because there have been cracks. There have been issues in their lives for years that have not been dealt with. We need zero tolerance. Zero tolerance with the small seeds of sin. Might help if you keep your Bible open as we go through this story. In verse 1, most of the kings, when, they, or when the, their armies went out to battle, they went with their armies. David always did this, but not on this occasion. So the first thing we realize here in this story is David was not where he should have been. He was not where he should have been. In verse 2, he was on the palace roof, and the higher elevation allowed him to see around Do we elevate the television or the internet to allow us to see things that we should not? David saw. David 
saw. He was probably just out enjoying a walk in the cooler and he saw. And he clearly took a second look. There's no problem appreciating beauty. I can't speak for women, but I know that for most men, that appreciation turns to lust as quickly as a second look or even the blink of an eye. Beware of the second look. David was at the top of the slippery slope. And then in verse 3, he asks a question, who is she? And he's told she's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. That's the traditional way in that culture somebody would have been introduced, the son of or daughter of. But unusually, this man goes further and says, the wife of Uriah. <laughs> Wonder, did this confidant just know exactly what David was like? And this was him sending a warning out. It's the wife of Uriah. But he obviously didn't listen or heed the warning. That voice of conviction in our hearts that so often we can ignore. And I wonder how it was that David actually asked the question, who is she? It's amazing how we can cover up the real intent behind a question that seems innocent. Who's so-and-so that's turned out to church today? I haven't seen them before. The real intent that can be behind some innocent questions, David has started to slip the slippery slope. Chapter, verse 4, he meets her. Did David have it in his mind when he met Bathsheba that he would sleep with her? Who knows? But either way, he was slipping so fast that the inevitable happened. The inevitable happened and she became pregnant. It is interesting that Scripture tells us that she had purified herself, i.e. she had just had her period. That is explicitly in the Bible because Scripture wants us to know she was not pregnant when she slept with David. He hears the word and suddenly he goes into self-preservation mode. He sends for Uriah and the next part of the story shows this contrast between the integrity of Uriah and the de desperation of a man in sin who will do anything to make sure that it's not revealed. In verse 78, David encouraged Uriah to go to his house and wash his feet. But since the washing was done just before going to bed, the idiom here means go home and sleep with your wife. Because David was wanting to cover up what had just happened. The gift of food that followed, that was to make the evening even more enjoyable, but it didn't work. Uriah was a loyal servant. He was a loyal patriot. But then the depravity of a man desperate sinks even further into the quagmire. He gets Uriah drunk. Maybe he'll lose some of his self-discipline. And maybe this will work. But he did, it didn't. He was playing tricks. But we can't play tricks with the Holy Spirit. We can't play tricks with the Holy Spirit. And then when it doesn't work, the depths are realized. David wrote a letter 
to Joab calling for the murder of Uriah. And then he had the audacity to hand the letter to Uriah to deliver it, to deliver his own death warrant. Uriah, if you read on in, in, in 2 Samuel, you'll find out he was one of David's mighty men, as his father was too. He would have done anything for that man, David. He would have done anything for the king. He would have given his life for him. Yet David showed so little respect for his. He must have broken around half of the Ten Commandments by this stage. And I want to say this. There's a potential monster in each of us that can only be realized sometimes when we make that mistake so big that we'll do anything to make sure it's covered up. Anything. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Then as the story goes on, David, after Uriah was killed, after a time of mourning, seven days, let's move quickly on this one. He did the honorable thing. He brings this widow of this war hero into the, into the palace and he marries her, makes her part of his harem. Oh, to cover it up. Maybe people will not notice the timing. A man out on his roof. No intention of adultery. But in a short space of time, we see the power of lust and deception. Innocent question. It's a manipulation of circumstances. Murder, marriage, all to cover it up. David's image was preserved, but heaven noticed David's image was preserved, but heaven noticed. And do you know what? Hollywood can dress up sexual sin all it wants, but the trajectory of sexual sin is always downwards. The trajectory of sexual sin is always downwards. Psalm 40, verse 8, David wrote this. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is on my heart. And I do not doubt for one minute the sincerity of that verse and the passion in that man's heart for God. So what does that verse actually tell us? Well, it tells us this. No matter who we are, no matter how passionate we are for God, we're all capable of serious sin. And there's no level of anointing in our lives that helps us avoid temptation. This message is relevant to us all, irrespective of age. Remember reading a story about a pastor who asked a senior elder, who's a man well in his 80s. And he asked them, what age the men get to when they, they stop looking at females? And the man said, you're going to have to ask someone older than me. <laughs> but here's the bottom line, folks. We live in an over-sexualized world. Modesty is no longer a virtue. Please listen. Please listen. There is no other context given in Scripture for sex other than marriage. There is no other context given in Scripture for sex other than marriage. But our hyper-sexualized world says that sin is normal. Sin is cool. Sin is good. The more partners you have, the better. Nonsense. 
David had umpteen wives. He had umpteen concubines, yet he still fell here. He fueled his lust. And it led to disaster. In fact, how long did it take for Bathsheba to discover that she was pregnant? There's no mention of her again until this news breaks. Can we assume this was just a one-night stand for David to get that lust off his chest and that desire off his chest until six, seven weeks later the news comes to him, she's pregnant? He fueled his lust. Please do not buy the world's lie that the more partners you have, the better. Keep yourself for marriage. Keep yourself for marriage. Here's a modern day storyline to David. Someone new comes into church. Lots of new faces coming into church these days. You notice her and attractive. And after the service, you actually find yourself chatting to her over coffee and, and you have a really good chat and it's cool, it's great. Loads of things in common. And you say cheerio and off you go home, nothing else. But then you go home and all of a sudden she pops into your head and you think, that was really nice to... See so-and-so today. Then later that day, you're on your computer, you're Facebooking, and but, but here, oh, it pops into your head, I wonder if so-and-so's on Facebook. Yes, there she is, bang, I'll, I'll send her a friend request, boom, straight back, accepted. Over the next week, then you start to see some of her posts, and, and really funny and really interesting, and you like most of them. In fact, you love some of them, you laugh at some, and... It's all good. And what happens is over the next week, it all starts to build. And then the next Sunday, you come to church and you're looking for her. And then at the end of the service, you see her and she's in a group of people talking. And you manipulate the situation to get into that conversation. And you talk and you chat. And then afterwards, the pastor calls you and and, and says, look, I would love you to, to get involved in this project and get a wee team around you. And you say to the pastor, well, look, listen, there's a few new people here. It'd be great to get them involved in the team. All the innocence that's in behind, the seemingly innocent suggestions and questions. There's this lady, she's just started coming, and here, maybe good to connect her in and, and, and make feel part of this. And you start spending more and more and more time with this lady, and then, boom. You can see where it's all going. What if the tables are turned and this lady starts to show an interest in you? Tries to seduce you. Some scholars wonder, was Bathsheba placing herself in that bath, in that position, because she knew the king would be on his roof, so that he would see her? And she'd get noticed. So you see the slippery slope? You see how, like David, who could have been innocently on his roof, we could innocently meet someone in church tonight we could innocently meet someone in church and within a short space of time, our thought lives and our actions can change so quickly and dramatically and put us in a place of compromise. You don't think it couldn't happen. There may be people in this meeting here tonight who are on the slippery slope. There may be people in this meeting tonight who are on the slippery slope, which is a scary thought. 
1 Corinthians 10 says that God will always give us a way out of temptation. Always give us a way out of temptation. So for the last few minutes, I want to look at some practical steps at dealing with the temptation of lust. Because one thing we can be sure of is that this temptation will come our way. Romans 7 verse 21 says, when we want to do good, sin is right there. (laughs) When we want to do good, sin is right there. So if we want to go out from here and be stronger against this temptation, it's going to be right there in front of us. We dare not become casual with life in God. Here's the first practical step. Let's pursue God with everything that we have. The more time we spend on our knees, the stronger we will be against temptation. The more attuned we are to God's voice and conviction, the louder we'll hear his voice in the midst of the cacophony of temptation. But when we do make mistakes, please remember the grace of God that can restore. I don't say that as a license for us to just go on sinning or go on pursuing a lifestyle that we're doing because that's not what grace does. Grace should inspire us to want to live God's way and to want to live in absolute obedience to him. But one thing I would encourage us all to do in our pursuit of God when we sin is keep short accounts with him. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Keep short accounts with God. Confess sin quickly. Confess sin quickly. And see when we confess our sin to God, call it out. Name it. Don't go with the general, oh God, please forgive me for all my sin. Confess the sin specifically to God because if we just bring it onto that general banner, sometimes we can make it sound a bit less than what it actually is. However, when we see David's passion for God in his life, then we also see that even when we're seeking God, we can commit serious sin. Therefore, we need to put up blocks in our lives. We need to put up blocks in our lives that can help us resist lust and make the right choices. So first of all, what are your weaknesses when it comes to lust? What are your weaknesses when it comes to lust? Because when we know our weaknesses, then we can know the barriers that we need to put up. If it's what we watch on the computer, then what do we need to do? Do we need to set a principle that there is a password on that computer and only when the person who knows how to put that password is in can we access the computer when there's company? Or do we need to get that accountability package that emails the websites we visit to that accountability friend? Well, what do we need to do to fight against our weaknesses? What blocks do we need to put up? Let grace inspire us to do that. Here's another block. Avoid the situations where temptation is going to be flaunted in front of us. Avoid the situations where temptation is flaunted in front of us. Let's learn from Joseph. When Potiphar's wife came on to him, David, he took a second look. This guy ran in the opposite direction. He didn't, zero tolerance. He just ran in the absolute opposite direction direction. We need zero tolerance with the small seeds of sin. Paul said to Timothy, flee 
Flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. We should not feed our weakness. What do we need to do? Let grace inspire us to make the right choices. Deal with sin early. Do not let it master us. Genesis 4 verse 6 says, If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must master it. That puts complete onus upon us. You must master it. We are responsible for the choices that we make in our lives. Are we killing sin or is sin killing us? Nip things in the bud earlier. Don't let the cracks appear or don't let the cracks widen and deepen like David did. Let grace tonight inspire us to make the right choices and put the appropriate blocks in our lives. Maybe we need the the block of company. Because sometimes the depths to which sin will take us can only be realized when we're on our own. Sometimes the depths to which sin can take us is only realized when we're on our own. Well then, keep good company. Don't always be on your own with your girlfriend. Keep good company. Put blocks in our way. Billy Graham, he had that principle that he would never be on his own with any woman other than his wife. And maybe that's not practical for some people because of work situations or whatever, but that was his block. One of his blocks. What blocks are we putting in? Let grace inspire us to make the right choices. And one of the the best choices we can make is to have accountability in our lives. This is massive. I was speaking to two Elam pastors this week. No mentor. No accountability. Who are you accountable to? Who is mentoring you? Who is mentoring you? Because we all need one. Who is encouraging you? Who is challenging you with the hard questions? Because we all need them. Did that person try to warn David? It's Uriah's wife. But he chose to not listen. I'll tell you this, we all need a Nathan in our lives. He'll come along and tell us exactly what we need to hear. You are the man. You are the man. We all need accountability. I'll tell you this, folks. We will find ourselves in difficulty if we choose to walk through life alone and we choose to walk through and struggle with things on our own who could come alongside you please pray about that who could come alongside you to not judge but to pray to love you to ask the right questions and to challenge whenever that challenge is needed And maybe if you feel that you are on that slippery slope tonight, please don't slide any further. Make the right choice tonight. If you have no one to speak to, come and speak to someone in the pastoral lead of the church here and with confidence we'll love you, we'll we'll, we'll not judge. We'll pray with you and we'll help encourage you with hopefully the right advice. 
to warnings about sexual immorality from our spiritual history are huge in Scripture. And if we think for one second that Satan will not use our fleshy desires that every single one of us have to rip a chasm right through this church, we are to be pitied. We know the warnings. We know the signs. What choices will we make in the light of grace? What blocks will we put up? Maybe there's some other blocks that haven't been mentioned tonight and we need to put them up in our lives to help deal with this because we don't want any tolerance when it comes to this one. I'll finish just with this thought as the worship team come up. No matter what we have done in our lives, there is forgiveness and there is grace. If there's anyone needs prayer about something that you're carrying in your life or a big burden that you've just never told anyone about and you need someone to pray with you, please come and see us again in confidence. But there's always restoration. Again, this is not a license for us to go out and just do whatever we want because if we've been touched by grace, the inspiration will be to go and live God's way. It'll be to go and live God's way. Restoration is available. David cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, renew a right spirit within me. And he was restored. He's the first human named in the New Testament. He's the last human name in the New Testament. The man after God's own heart. The Messiah, the son of David named from his lineage again please speak to us if you need prayer and if there are issues raised tonight that bring hurt or pain from the past again we're here for you if you need support we don't need to travel our journey alone folks let's not get casual with life and God let's learn from the warnings of scripture Let's know the signs. What are the choices that we need to make tonight? Don't leave here thinking, oh, that was okay. I was good enough service tonight. No, that's pointless. What choices do we need to make tonight? What do we need to do now? What line do we need to draw on the stand and, and step over it and say, I'm going to put my hand in the plow and I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to go to the left or the right. I'm not going to look back. What choices do we need to make? What blocks do we need to deal with temptation? Well, let's make a deal with, with each and every one of us here tonight. Let's not give sexual temptation a foothold in this church. Let's not give the devil a foothold in this church with this one. Amen.